Have you ever heard of for better or for worse? Now, do you think that means for as long as you both shall live, or do you think that means for as long as you're both fun? We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. In the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly rolling, she's not saying, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Flow. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points to life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Was it no big thing? No one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell? Let's continue to pace. No stone uncovered. They will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest. And together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint. Two mice is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of Better in the Dark. You Episode of Better in the Dark that started in mm-hmm. a way that a lot of our episodes start as a conversation between Tom and myself. Frequently, he will call me and he will say, "What are we going to do for the next recording session that we have?" And what we do is that we just generally kick around ideas. We go back and forth, and he says, "Well, how about we do this?" And then I say, "Well, how about we do this?" Right. And then, how about we do this? And, and then, then we fight. Yeah, and whoever is left standing gets his way. But more than often, what happens is that we end up pursuing a line of thought, mm-hmm. and then after about ten or fifteen minutes, we stop and we say, "Wait, hold on. Yeah. This is another episode." Mm-hmm. We should really hold off on this until we are sitting together and then we can explore this in depth together. And that's exactly where this episode is going. This, of course, is Better in the Dark, and he's Thomas DJ. And he's Derek Ferguson. Just before we started recording this, Thomas said to me, is this a BITD autopsy or what is it? And I was kind of saying, I don't know what you would really call this because we're really not autopsying this because we really don't think it's a corpse. So I don't know what we should call it. We're going to leave it up to you. Well, we should probably use the name that we originally came up with, which was Die Indie Die. Die Indie Die, yeah. Because what this started out as was we were talking about the state of independent film today and how much has changed from when, well, when did you start getting into independent film or noticing independent film as such? First of all, what to you is independent film? Independent film was, to me, a movie done outside of the Hollywood studio system, usually done in limited release. It could count as one of a number of things. A foreign-made film that doesn't get picked up by a major. A small film done by a student filmmaker. A collection of short films. Here in New York, if your film was shown in the Film Forum or the Cinema Village or the old Paris 3rd Avenue on 68th Street, which is a block away from their college where I got my education, chances are you are indie film. Would you say we call independent film now is what used to be called back in the 60s art house films? Yes. Art films is what they used to be called. Now they're called indie or independent movies. Generally, while there are independent releasing corporations, most of the time these people make their films on their own Mm -hmm. with no backing of a studio. might have a producer, but they won't have a Warner Brothers or a Fox or a Columbia or a TriStar looking over them so they can do the film they want to do. 
when you say independent film, the first thing that comes to my mind, right? Right. When you say independent film, I think of Spike Lee, She's Gotta Have It, and Clerks by Kevin Smith, right. or El Mariachi, Robert Rodriguez, first, or Eating Raul. Who directed that one? Paul Bartel. Paul Bartel. These were guys that went out. They maxed out their credit cards. Yeah. Robert their, Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle. Hollywood Shuffle. They maxed out their family's credit cards. Mm. Sometimes their family would even mortgage their homes to right. do that, or they went around begging money, and they literally shot the film, edited it together, maybe in their basement or right. backyard. And sometimes we're talking about films that didn't have a 30-day shooting schedule, have maybe a 30-month shooting schedule. Yeah. These are films that people would shoot on the weekends. Right, when or, their friends yeah. got off their regular job. Exactly. <laughs> Much as I dislike him, Greg Araki mm-hmm. was originally an indie filmmaker. Okay. The guy who did Doom Generation Doom and Smiley Denver, Face. Smiley and, Face, right. yeah. But these were guys who, who what I like to call down and dirty guerrilla filmmaking. You mm-hmm. get in there and your point is to make a movie. It's not to get Academy right. Awards. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to gain fame and prestige. It's to tell a story. It's you to tell a story, story, you want to tell it. Exactly. And this is the medium that you've chosen to right. tell it through film. And this is how you do and it. And there's usually, at least when you and I were going, a kind of lack of slickness. Yeah. The first film that I could definitely say was an independent film that I saw in the movie theaters was mm-hmm. Eating Raoul because it opened at the Paris when I was still going to Hunter College. It was in 1982, mm-hmm. I had just started going to Hunter. It was the first time I'd been in an art house like that. One of the things I remember very vividly is watching this film and enjoying it and then seeing a very visible boom mic <laughs> in an early scene. Now, in a major feature film, they would find a way to mask that or they would reshoot well, now they can digitally yeah, wipe it out. Back then, they actually did have to reshoot. Right. They said, okay, we got to do another but take. But Paul Bartel was financing this film out of his own pocket. He couldn't afford to reshoot. Mm-hmm. So there it is, right between him and Mary Warrenoff when they're having a discussion at home. But there's a certain lack of polish. grace. Lack of polish. That's the best way of putting it. Lack of polish. A lack of polish. A because, certain- of course, since this was filmed, now it's different because now everything is shot on digital. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to reshoot. Right. But back then, they didn't have the luxury because they only had a certain amount of film that they had bought. They couldn't reshoot. So right. quite often, that first take was hit. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> scene. Well, aren't we going to do a master bullshit? Go move on to the right. next scene. <laughs> There's a great scene, and we were discussing them earlier, in the Tim Burton directed Ed Wood, where they're making the movie Glenn or Glenda and Johnny right. Depp and they do this shot. And then he says, okay, cut. And the cameraman says, don't you want another take just for coverage? And he says, nope, that's good. That's Let's good. move on. <laughs> So let's look at Clerks for a second. Okay. Clerks is a very primitive looking movie. Oh, especially now. Yeah. Even with all the digital stuff that we have and we can mm-hmm. actually see it. it, it you know what was, was weird? You know I was at the Mike Carbono's New York Comic Marketplace. Right. Doing a little charity work. The only celebrity guest I was glad to see because I hate going to Celebrity Corner. You have all these sad people who did one thing in their life and they were milking that one thing for all it's worth. Yeah. And somewhere away from the Ansi Butlers and the Henry Winklers and the Ethan, what's his name, who was uh, an Elix on. But, but uh, and I hear what you're saying, yeah. and I agree with you 100%, but I still maintain it's better to be a has-been than a never, never was. was. There was Marilyn Gulati, who was one of the female leads of Clerks. Okay. Dante's girlfriend. The dark-haired one. one, the, <laughs> one with the, the one with the very pronounced... Jersey accent. Yeah. And the one that Dante should have chosen. It was kind of startling seeing her. In my brain, it took me a second, because mm-hmm. I was going up the escalator from the registration floor to go up the escalator to the actual main floor, and she was right there at the foot of the escalator, and for some reason she thought I was somebody she knew. Right. And it was kind of weird. From My mind had to take a few seconds to process, because I was so used to seeing her in black and white. Yeah. Yeah. You see her color. What? <laughs> yeah. And she, by the way, still very, very hot. Oh, I have no doubt. But yeah, it made it in a very grainy black and white. Mm-hmm. Just very, very primitive. Even more primitive if you've ever seen the earlier cut before CBS threw them extra money to allow them to do the soundtrack. Right. And I've seen that. It's on the... It's two on disc- the two-disc set I went the to. Disc- the the yeah. 10th anniversary right. disc. The, right, the really primitive version. Yeah. Wow. Where yeah. he's using original music cues that sometimes are just nothing more than electronic noodling. That's the feel of a indie film to me. The reason we're bringing this all up (laughs) finally is because when we were having this discussion a couple of nights ago 
we were talking about a number of things that kind of led us to the belief that maybe indie film, as Derek and I remembered it as we were growing up, might actually be dead. Yeah. Part of it is the fact that there was an article about how art houses are struggling now. Yeah. Because they are being informed by certain independent distributors that they are no longer going to be striking physical prints. Yeah. So they have to upgrade to digital projection. To digital projection, which a lot of them simply can't afford to right. do, let's face it. Also, certain things I look at, like, you have the Spirit Awards, a televised. Right. And now it has all these corporate sponsors, whereas... Hell, you get 24-hour coverage from Sundance. Yeah, I mean, what's that about? I look at what is now considered indie film, and it doesn't look like indie film anymore. It looks indistinguishable, except in maybe some of the little quirks in the story matter, Mm -hmm. from major studio product. Well, that's another thing that we were talking about. And I said, I noticed that back when independent was the thing, independent film was the big thing that really was driving the film industry. Everybody wanted an independent film. So what did the major studios do? They went and they formed their own or they independent, bought, the, or, or they bought out. Like the way the MGM went out and bought New Line Cinema. Bought New Line Cinema. Can I bring up my music analogy here? Absolutely. Okay. Please, please do. Now, back in 1989 and 1990, mm-hmm. independent music entered a boom period, thanks primarily to the arrival of Nirvana on the scene. Ah, yeah, okay. Okay, so all of a sudden, it was the vogue to be going to these small indie labels like Sub Pop and the like, and 4AD and other really small labels looking for new acts. Mm -hmm. So what the major labels did, like CBS and Polygram and all of them, is they went and they formed their own quote-unquote indie labels. (laughs) Right. Only they didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell anybody. (laughs) So, for example, there was a very famous indie label called Matador that went about its business until somebody finally figured out that CBS was cutting the checks to pay Matador's employees. Okay. So CBS was funding Matador because it wanted a feeder system for finding these indie bands who wouldn't want to sign with CBS. Mm -hmm. But they'll sign with Matador and do an album or two, then they feel okay with signing with CBS. Right. Then CBS would come to them and say, oh, well, we really like this album. Would you like to do an album? Oh, well, sure. No. Because see, now these guys are figuring they to put in their exactly. dues with this independent label. So now, go ahead. Now, here is what happened to many of these indie bands that signed with these mini-majors, as we used to call them. Mm-hmm. They would then get signed to CBS or to Warner Brothers or to one of the other big labels. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Particularly around like 92, 93, when... Indie music was at its height. And everybody wanted their Nirvana. Everybody wanted this is the their... the big Seattle yeah. scene. We had all the bands. Right. Everybody Seattle. wanted yeah. their Stone Temple Pilots Stone or Ride. their Soundgarden or whatever. So they would sign anybody who had any sort of indie cred to like a three-album deal. Mm-hmm. So you had this renaissance where you had these bands that I loved, like Big Dipper and Tribe. Tribe is one of the great tragic stories of the 90s. Tribe was an insanely popular... Boston Air Band. They were a local band. They were very, very popular. They were very successful in the Boston, Massachusetts area. They get signed to Epic, one of the CBS labels. They put a big push on their first album, Abort. Nobody bought it. (laughs) Okay. I discovered them because I saw them opening for, I think it was Tote the Wet Sprocket. And as much as I hated mm-hmm. the album version, I loved them live. The live version, right. I yeah, love well, them live. Well, see, that's another thing. A lot of bands are better live than they are well, you uh, see, that's in the, the studio. Thing. Whatever they got doesn't translate well to... Exactly. That's like, kind of like the big dirty secret about the music industry. If the albums aren't where... The bands make their money. The album is where the record label. The record make label make, make their money. money. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why you have people like Ben Folds actually giving interviews where he's being sympathetic towards yeah people yeah. who pirate his stuff because he says I'm not getting 25 cents. Because that guy didn't buy a sanctioned album version of my latest record. Mm -hmm. However, he's going to go to my show when I come to his town. And he's going to give me $15 Mm -hmm. of a $20 ticket to watch me perform. And he's going to go to my merchandise booth and buy a t-shirt. Which is another $15 in my pocket. So yeah, I'm cool with people downloading my stuff. And I tell people all the time, why do you think you see artists now... More. They say, oh, well, it's taking them too long to put out another album. That's because they're touring yeah. because that's where they're making their exactly. money. They're not making money going into the studio and making an album every exactly. year. Exactly. 
every year. It's worth more to them to go out on the road and tour for two or three years than to go back in the studio so and anyway, another album. Getting back to Tribe, and this is illustrative of a lot of these bands. So the first album did not do well, but they toured very extensively. They gained a large fan base. But because the first album didn't do well, Epic wasn't inclined to publicize the second album, which is called Sleeper. Okay. So they dumped it in the middle of the night, very quietly, very little promotion. <laughs> like a dead body. <laughs> I found my copy of Sleeper in the 88 cents bin at St. Mark's Records. Holy shit. <laughs> the 88 cents The 88 cents bin. Even though, because the first single was a song called Super Collider at the time when the Super Collider project was in all the news, and they actually got some press because of this, including they actually were invited to come on NPR's All Things Considered. <laughs> The album obviously didn't do very well because, of course, it was dumped. And so, guess what? What? The record label did not pick up their option of the third album. Uh, well, I guess not. Even though they had already started doing demos. They uh, might as well call that the kick in the ass yeah. bid. <laughs> yeah. no sense, man. Now, this happened to a lot of bands I loved, including Big Dipper. Mm-hmm. Big Dipper only got one album out of their three-album deal okay. and was dumped by... Epic. Mm-hmm. Brenda Kahn, who is this wonderful, what they call new folk artist mm-hmm. from Brooklyn, really kind of down and dirty folk rock. First album, a lot of push, didn't do anything. They still were committed to the second album, which is going to be called Destination Anywhere, until a week before release. Mm-hmm. At which time Miss Khan was informed, we're not going to be releasing your albums. <laughs> That's better than releasing it. <laughs> it goes to 88 cents a bit. Yeah, yeah. I That's swear what? to you, Casey oh, Scott. Oh, 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 I believe Casey you. Casey Scott. I okay. believe you. I believe you. I'm just saying, man. 80, that would depress the shit out yeah. of me if I wrote a book. Yeah. And I walked into a bookstore and they had an 88 cents bin and I saw my book was in Casey there. Casey Scott was this Holy performance shit. artist from Rhode Island. Brilliant writer. She, even though there were songs, mm-hmm. she kind of like had that kind of like weird talk singing thing. Where she, they were tone poems. They were tone poems. But they were funny and they were hilarious. The biggest problem, I think, and the reason why the label abandoned her so quickly was because these songs went on for six, seven minutes at a time. And you can't promote a six or seven minute single anymore. Well, this is my point. Going back to independent films... And I think this is where independent film is going right now, but go ahead. Right. I'm glad that you brought all that into there because that's giving me another perspective on this and this is what I want to say, given that Mm -hmm. perspective. Would you say in movies, as in with independent music, there are some bands that are just not suited for the quote-unquote big time, Mm -hmm. that they're better off in their little independent niche... Where they have a following and they're appreciated and they can do their thing. And some of them aren't meant to be pushed up into these big right. bands that the record studios... Because the record studios, as well as the movie yeah. studios, they don't know what they want until yeah. they see it. I would go so far as to say that Kurt Cobain probably would still have been alive a couple of years, if not a couple of decades longer, mm-hmm. if Nirvana had not had, had the success that it had. Mm-hmm. Because I think that being on Geffen Records and becoming an icon and becoming this major, major act that was doing stadiums really made him uncomfortable from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Unlike David Grohl, who really liked it, and that's why you'll notice that Cobain's corpse wasn't even cooling mm-hmm. when Grohl had already announced, I'm doing my own band, it's called The Foo Fighters. Yeah, but you're right. There are certain people who would just be perfectly happy doing their own films and sending out to the world. Like, for instance, Spike Lee. Now, Spike Lee, I take no backseat when it comes to my love of Spike Lee. But I think that he would be happier if he was, like you said, and they started out in independent film because they want to tell story. Once he started this thing where he, was, cha- where he was chasing the Academy Awards, yeah. that's where he went off the rails. Because mm-hmm. then he stopped being concerned with telling the stories he wanted to tell. And he was more concerned with, I should have won the Academy Award yeah. for Do the Right Thing. Okay, we all agree that you should have won it for this, Mike, yeah. but you get over it and you move on eventually. Really, his career has been so uneven, and the only really one mainstream success that he has had, he hasn't followed up on, which was the inside yeah. man. And mm-hmm. I don't understand why you would not take that success that you had and mm-hmm. capitalize on it and try to turn it into, maybe go back to making the movies that you did be making, which is movies like Bamboozled, yeah. which he went back to the guerrilla style of filmmaking where mm-hmm. he went to Radio Shack and bought digital cameras and shot it with that. Well, look at Steve Soderbergh, where once a year he does these small projects, these little things that he doesn't expect to be released, wide release. Mm-hmm. He does 
one for the studios, one crazy nutty, like, was it Contagion? Contagion, yeah. And Haywire, and the Ocean's Eleven's movies, and then he goes back to his home, and he does little tiny things like the girlfriend experience and Bubble. Now, I saw Contagion. You didn't see Contagion, right? No, I didn't see Okay, Contagion. Contagion was a strange movie. That was an independent film with a major movie budget. Most of the scenes were very small and intimate, mm -hmm. and there wasn't the things that you would expect, say, like, a Michael Bay to do. Right. I wanted to see cities burning. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see dead babies being pitchforked in the <laughs> furnaces. It was the dead babies. Yeah. Maybe it was a very calm movie considering these people were facing the end of the world. Yeah. I was kind of pissed off about it for, until I said, it's Steve Soderbergh. And then I said, okay, now I see what he was doing. Yeah. And that's it was an independent movie. But since he had the budget in the back of right. a major studio, he said, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And slide mm -hmm. it in up under the yeah. radar. And it's not that it wasn't a bad movie. It was actually a very good movie. I just don't think it was a movie that a lot of people were prepared for. Prepared for considering the subject matter. But yeah, Steve Soderbergh is a good example of a guy who's got a foot in both worlds. Yeah. He went and he did the Ocean's Eleven mm -hmm. movies. All of them, massive, successful hits. But then he goes and does something like The Girlfriend Experience. Or right. what was that other movie he did that had the split screens? Remember oh, that? oh, Time Code. Remember that crazy thing? Time Code. The one, <laughs> yeah, where it's like it's Patsy Kensett and it's like the four different screens. And, and you don't know what to watch. There's somebody yeah. over here having sex in a limousine yeah. and there's somebody over here in the doctor's office. I know which and somebody, one. Yeah. That was nuts. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that we were seeing a similar situation to the 90s music industry that I just talked about mm -hmm. right now in independent film. Mm -hmm. In that you've got these major studios buying out independent distributors or, in the case of Fox, coming up with all the... And it's funny because each major distributor has a label that is for quote-unquote soft indie films. We're 20th Century Fox. We have Fox Searchlight and Rogue. Yeah, or Fox Atomic. Right, right, Atomic, yeah. Yeah, and they're both supposed to be indie studios. But Fox Searchlight, Fox Atomic are the people that are going around saying, you have to switch to digital because we're not doing... Yeah, which of course, what is that doing? That's putting more money in the pockets of right. the studio. It's not Because they don't have to actually pay for the... For right, the it's not rent. putting more money in the pocket of the poor theater owners right. who... They're the ones that have got to pay yeah. for the upgrade, not the studios. It'd be different if the studios would come and say, we'll go in at least half for the upgrade because after all, you're going to be showing our yeah. movies. No, they're not doing that. They just tell them, screw you. If you don't upgrade, mm -hmm. you don't get our movies. Which is akin to me putting a gun to your yeah. head and telling me, okay, give me your money. Right. As far as I'm concerned. Maybe I'm putting it a little bit... But, I mean, you look at what stands for indie film these days. And I think that it's become the minor leagues in relation oh, yeah. to baseball. The minor leagues as opposed to the major leagues. Mm -hmm. What a lot of, quote-unquote, indie film is now is people doing smaller versions of what's popular in the majors. I agree. Little quirky romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. Little quirky crime dramas. Remember that. <laughs> Silly little horror movies. God's sakes, you and I were talking about, we've seen little tiny minor league superhero movies now. Yeah, we were talking about Super the other night. Oh, God. That really, really bizarre movie with the guy, I can't remember his name, I know he plays Dwight True yeah. on... The Office and Ellen Page. Okay, now to me, that's an independent film. Done for obviously not a lot of money. They did have like some CGI in there. Like at the end when she gets her head blown yeah. off. But for the most part, it was done with practical effects. It wasn't done with a, which to me is another sign to me of an independent movie. Right. right? That is done with practical effects because you can't mm -hmm. afford CGI. Although nowadays though, anybody, if they have a laptop of enough power... They can do CGI effect on there. But then again, as an indie film, what is it doing with all those name actors? Well, here's what happened. Yeah. You had a lot of actors who I think like the prestige of being in the independent mm -hmm. film. And let's face it, it's not a lot of pressure because nobody right. expects it to do a lot of money. Nobody expects it to make $100 million first weekend. Mm -hmm. You're not going out to some location where you got to be driven there. Right. You, you don't have to spend hours in the chair doing makeup. The appeal of an independent film is very appealing because you just go in there and it's a couple of locations. You mm -hmm. go in there, you're just doing dialogue. You don't have to do outrageous stunts. So I can see the appeal for a lot of big name actors that say, we know what, let me do an independent mm -hmm. film. See, I would have counseled Nathan Fillion not to do that film because, boy, did he look like an overstuffed sausage in that. Which film was that? Super. 
Because remember, he's in that. He oh, that's played, right. Yeah, he plays the Christian superhero. Yeah, Christian yeah. superhero, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but see, Nathan Fillion is more... You know who he is? Nathan who? Fillion? He's the new Bruce Campbell. See, that's what popped in my head as well. Okay. He's the new Bruce Campbell. So he straddles all different kind of lines and genres, which is okay. I can't think of anybody that I think is more worthy to inherit whatever mantle Bruce Campbell yeah. has as Nathan Fillion. See, but he is another guy that started out in independent movies. Yeah. Sam Raimi, when he did The Evil Dead, the Evil Dead and the, Dark right. Man, and all those other movies that found mainstream success. Success. As did Sam Raimi. But is that their aspirations that they just look at independent films as a way of getting their See, foot that's what worries in me, the door. is that that's what it seems to be. And you know who I blame for this? You and I, we talked about this. Who? Robert Redford. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I blame Sundance. Mm-hmm. I blame the fact that he created this festival that made stars out of people who probably shouldn't have been stars as early as they had. And the thing was, of course, is that you would get people and then they'd have an indie film at Sundance and the next thing you know they're being offered a big contract to do the latest Catherine Heigl. Catherine Heigl romantic comedy. Yeah. yeah. Or Jennifer Aniston. Or, yeah. Okay, you're going to do Jennifer... You're going to do this Jennifer Aniston comedy with Jared Butler? Jennifer Aniston, who, by the way, I still maintain the best role she ever had was in an independent right, film. Right, the good girl. Office, no, Office Space. I think Office Space actually doesn't count. I think it was done by a major. Really? Yeah. I'm going to look that up. See, because I was under the impression that Office Space... I thought you were talking about The Good Girl, which is an independent film. I've never seen The Good Girl. Okay, I'm sorry. And I tend to remember Office Mm -hmm. Space because... It was such a hilarious movie. Yeah. But it had a lot of people in there that weren't really known. I think Jennifer Aniston was probably the one major the name, biggest in name. The, the yeah. biggest name in that movie. And the one who had the least screen time. But as we've seen in other movies, and other movies I've seen it, it's amazing that when she's in a movie like that in Horrible Bosses, where she's not the star, right. where she's playing a supporting role, she's very effective and she's very funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that if she had stayed in independent film, right. probably she wouldn't be the joke that she is. Ne- well, I don't know how much of a joke she is. I think she's joke but apparently not because she keeps getting movie after right. movie after movie so what do i know and then you have people like ellen page who also made her thing and she was in hard candy which right. is hard candy oh it's an experience yes it is that's a movie that's in my list of movies that i'm glad i saw it that one time but, but that's the only time i'm gonna watch it. but she effortlessly made the transition because she was in that she was in juno I was talking to Steve Roman this weekend okay. about Ellen Page, in fact. And he has presented the idea that Ellen Page, unfortunately, is now at that age where she has to skip over being the major movie star. She now has to start being the character girl. Yeah. Kind of like Parker Posey. Yeah. Parker, Posey. You know how much I adore Parker Posey. Oh, yeah. Where Parker Posey started out as an indie girl with that horrible, horrible House of Yes film. Mm-hmm. She appeared in a lot of these little indie films. But by the time that she was ready to make that big jump from mm-hmm. indie to major, she was already too old. Well, Parker Posey is the poster. Yeah. I mean, I have heard her referred to as, as queen of, of the of indies. indies. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. By the time it came time for to make that transition... She couldn't be the star. She couldn't star in the eyes. She had to be the star of the eyes sister. Even though she was the better looking of the two people. Sorry, Jessica Alba. And I think Ellen Page has now gotten to that point. It's funny, because she was so twee, she was in all these little keen comedies. And now, of course, she's at that age where now she's got to go straight into character act. Well, in Inception, don't you think that she made the transition yeah. from indies to the big times? Yeah, that was kind of a special case because it was a Christopher Nolan film. Well, that's true. And he's a guy, he does major motion yeah. pictures, but he's got an independent art film sensibility, yeah. though. Even though he's now making these multi-million dollar films, in his mind, he's still sitting behind a single camera doing Memento. Right. He's never going to be mainstream. Right. Even though Warner Brothers is trying like hell to make him mainstream. They're trying like hell to make him. Okay, perfect example. Let's take the two Batman movie that he made. Batman Begins and Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight. These are movies that, even though they're superhero movies, he went in with a very definite vision and independent art house Mm -hmm. vision, if you will, of what Batman was going to be. The thing that I love about his Batman movies is that you could take the guy out of the suit and they would still work his movie. Which is what I think he was going for. The suit is just a crutch. Okay, well, it's a Batman movie. But if it was just the adventures of Bruce Wayne, it still would work. But these are movies that because of the character development and the character arcs that they go through, very much, I think, is independent movie sensibility. It's not major movie stuff. The attention and detail to characters and how the characters relate. There's a lot of time spent setting up character right. relationships and character art. More than you would find in your typical superhero movie, mm. which is why these movies have become such right. a success. They always say this about superhero movies. Well, it's about character. It's not about the costumes. It's bullshit. Yes, it is about the costumes. We can't wait till you get them in the costumes. Right. 
But with Nolan's Batman movies, yes, it is about the character. It is about the journey that the characters take, which to me is art house sensibility. Unlike, say, Ocean's 11, 12, and 13, where Soderbergh said, yeah, well, this is a bullshit movie. Not to say right. he didn't put his all oh, into yeah, no, it. Oh, yeah, no, no. Soderbergh is one of those guys. But he didn't put the same independent art house sensibility into making those movies that he did because yeah. he realized what it is. It's not about the characters. It's about the caper. And do they pull the caper mm -hmm. off? That's all we care about right. in those movies. And that's what he gave us. I have no problem with that. Save your energy for your little independent movie. This but is th so weird. Here we are talking about Super. And look what Chris Mounts just posted on the Better in the Dark website. <laughs> Ooh, that's spooky. Yeah, I'm just saying. We didn't plan this, folks. It's called synchronicity. Yeah. The whole thing with independent film not being independent goes to what I see. You use music. I'm going to use right. rap. Okay. You had all these angry rappers. Remember mm -hmm. these guys like Ice T and Ice Cube and Chuck you, D. And Chuck D. That was so KRS One. Right. That was so angry against the system, and they were doing all this politically charged stuff, and they were against the police and authority. Now you look at them 30, 40 years later, and they're not angry anymore. You know why? Because now they have become the establishment that they once railed against. They're in now. It's just, kind of hard being Ice T to say angry when you wake up next to your Playboy model hot wife. Go out of your mansion to look over at your fleet of cars mm -hmm. and think damn and get into one of your cars so you can go to Universal to City the other car <laughs> no, so you can drive to Universal City to start work on the 20th episode of Law and Order SVU for that season where you're being paid multi-million dollars to be in it well I still pretty no. much said that in the interview where they asked well you're not angry anymore he says well, it's kind of hard to be angry when you got a house and you got a mm -hmm. wife and you got kids. What have I got to be angry about right. now? He said, yeah, I was angry back then. I didn't have anything. And I'm wondering if independent film, they don't have anything to say as far as the subject matter because they've been conscripted by the big studios. And now that they've got that cushion, that money up under them, mm -hmm. oh, well, thank God, I don't have to worry anymore about this and that, this and that. I know that this money is coming yeah. from. Even though it says focus films, I know it's really coming from 20th Century Right. Box. I don't have to worry about distribution. I don't have to worry right. about publicity and I know that even if it doesn't make that much it's going to go to DVD now they don't have that pressure to tell these personal stories anymore mm -hmm. now they want to turn out a product so that they will get that contract for the next Batman movie yeah. maybe oh. I'll do Batman and let me tell you some of the most detestable films I've seen in the last three or four years have been quote unquote independent films mm -hmm. because on their surface now mm -hmm. the next thing that I really want to get to what directors do you think and there have been a couple there have been mm -hmm. directors whose talent has suffered because they went into quote unquote mainstream movies and they made these big blockbuster things where they made major motion pictures and mm -hmm. they flop. Look at one of our favorite directors. And I had no idea mm -hmm. this next thing he made was a comedy. And right. I'm already hearing terrible things about it. Tarsum. Mara Mara. Yeah. I'm already hearing horrible things about it that, first of all, it's not funny. I don't know what is Tarsum doing making a comedy anyway, but... I'm sorry. There's one film I want to talk about. Well, I could talk about that as well, but that... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the picture you just saw of an Edo tool topless in a pool. Hey, there's nothing wrong Hey. With Who am I to judge, Tom? When I show you that picture, all your arguments are invalid. Yes, and Annette O'Toole, mind you, is one of the women that has made me have an appreciation for redheads. Ah, here it is. This is the film I wanted to talk about. Okay. Peep World. I hated this movie. What's the name of it again? Peep World. Okay. This is one of the things that does bother me about a large portion of independent films these days. Peep World is at its core just any old dysfunctional family comedy. It's about these children of this great developer in Los Angeles. They're all kind of fucked up in their own way. One of them is Rain Wilson. That's who we were thinking of. Rain Wilson, right? Rain the Wilson from, is this super. down yeah. in his luck lawyer who can't get a break, mm -hmm. but he's in love with Tajira P. Henson's court bailiff. You've got Sarah Silverman who has been in and out of rehab and is suing her brother who wrote a book called Peep World about the family. The thing that's detestable about these films is that they're on their surface no different from any other family comedy or romantic comedy. Like, another film I couldn't stand was Committed. Okay. The one with Heather Graham going after Luke Wilson. Heather Graham and Luke Wilson are a married couple in New York. Heather Graham runs a successful club. Luke Wilson decides to disappear one day and find himself. He drives down to El Paso, Texas, and starts 
fucking some Spanish hoochie. <laughs> Heather Graham, though, is such a needy person, needs to make sure everybody's all right in her life, that she drives all the way down herself to El Paso, mm-hmm. make sure Luke Wilson's okay. So it's a rom-com where people, of course, behave like people would never behave in real life. In real life? Well, that's the whole point of a rom-com. But because it's an indie thing, there's this sort of smug sense of, we're better than you. Getting back to Peep World, there's this whole end game where Ron Rifkin chews out his children for look. If people think it was so terrible to be my children, mm-hmm. yet who made sure you got into the right schools? Who made sure you didn't get into trouble mm-hmm. while I was raising you? Who's the one that screwed up their own lives? It wasn't me, buddy. You know that that's supposed to be a moment where we're supposed to have this moment of realization along with the characters and have new sympathy for them. When all I had was sympathy for Ron Rifkin for having to put up with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> And sympathy for Steve Tobolonsky, who plays Sarah Silverman's long-suffering Jew for Jesus boyfriend, who has been her boyfriend for six years in the hope that she'll sleep with him. This new style, more often than not, just like with any group of films, there are some lovely films out there, but... The bulk of this new style indie comedy and this new style indie crime drama, there's not a lot of difference. It's in gradation. No. Except me... that there's this sort of smug sense of because we're indie, we're a little bit better. Now, let me ask you this because see, yeah. I always maintain because the entertainment field has changed so yeah. much. And I think that actually it's the home entertainment has changed the landscape of how movies are financed and how movies are made. Because, of course, now when you have, it must be at least about like 100 movies. Mm-hmm channels now and you got DVD and you got pay-per-view and you've got on-demand. What do you need to fill up all these channels? You need product. product. So you think that that's what we're seeing now? We're seeing a lot more product and a lot more films that are getting greenlighted. Or or being made by film students because they know that they can get a sale to stars three <laughs> yeah. Or one of those things like Showtime Rush. Do they still have those? Like oh, Showtime Adrenaline or whatever? Well, I don't know, but I know that Stars, they have Stars. Mm-hmm. There's Stars West. There's Star HD East. There's Star HD West. <laughs> there's Stars Black. There's Stars Western. There's Stars Action. There's Stars Romance. Oh, my there's God. There's Stars Renaissance. Where, uh, <laughs> really? Seriously? There's Stars Latino. Yeah. It really gets broken down like that. So you can't just get HBO anymore. Yeah. You get 12 HBO channels, which run the whole gamut. Right. Uh, HBO Action, which is, of course, uh, HBO Romance, mm-hmm. HBO Latino. It really gets ridiculous HBO after a while. Malaysian. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> HBO Eskimo, you know, Mm -hmm. HBO Kids, it really gets ridiculous after a while. I remember when HBO first started, and when you ordered HBO, that's what you got. You got HBO. Now you order, oh, you can't just get HBO, but what am I getting? Well, you're getting HBO, blah, 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 and there's 12 channels that you're getting. Oh, my God. They need product to fill up these stations, so I'm saying it's a thing that goes back to the studios where, of course, they have a stake in this, too. They've got some money in this, too. So they said, well, let's green light this and let's green light that. Let's green light Mm -hmm. this and green light that. Even if it doesn't make any money here, it's going to go to DVD. It's going to go to Stars, or it's going to go to HBO Showtime. We're going to make some money back that way. I'm just wondering if it's because of this boom in home entertainment now and the desire for it. The independent landscape has just changed completely. Now, because of this, they need the product to fill this up. I used to be a big fan of the independent film champ because between that and Turner Classic Movies, I could watch those two channels all weekend long. Right. Because independent film channel, I could watch a lot of independent films mm-hmm. that I wouldn't see anywhere else. Okay, they made an announcement one day. I said, oh my God, well, what's happening? That they were going to start showing commercials. That's when I said, oh shit, well, that's it. I'm going to say something maybe heretical. I'm willing to bet that Robert Redford started the Sundance Film Festival as a profitable venture. He didn't start it because he really loved independent film and wanted to be expose people to it. He did it because it was a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Notice how there are so many films that don't get accepted for Sundance. That's right. why you have Slam Dance and mm-hmm. the other satellite festivals in and around Colorado, which is composed of people who... Could get into Sundance Mm -hmm. because they're not fancy enough. We get these people who start out as independent filmmakers and independent artists and independent writers and independent Mm -hmm. actors like Maria Bella. Let's talk about Maria Bella for a second. Okay. Who started out as an indie star. She was in that little indie pantheon and then all of a sudden she's in these major movies 
And now she's in major television shows mm-hmm. and such. I don't know. I'm sure she's happier, I guess, getting money. But well, she's working. Yeah. Which is the main thing you want to mm-hmm. be working. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here, that I just wouldn't want to see an entertainment world where it's just the big, humongous blockbusters, and then there's everybody else. Because right. we used to have, yes, the big, humongous blockbuster movies. But then we also had the B-movies. Right. And we had independent film, and then we had the genre films. But now we're moving slowly. I'll tell you who I think is the real independence right now. Who? Are these people that go out, and we're back to going out with our friends over the course of a couple of months, and making a movie, then pressing it on DVD, and promoting it themselves. Yeah. Okay. Going out and promoting it themselves on social media and on various... Like, there's this big independent horror underground. Now, granted, the majority of those films, I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole <laughs> because they're about the type of thing that I don't want to watch. But these are kids who love their genre, and they go out, and they cast people that they know, mm-hmm. and they work over the course of three months or a year, mm-hmm. and they get their movie done, and then they go, and they like they press it on video, they go to the conventions, mm-hmm. and they offer it. They get a half a page write-up in Fangoria Magazine with information on how to order the video. That's the equivalent of what was going on when the VHS revolution happened. And I actually think that there's no better way to learn how to make a movie than make a movie. Than to make a movie, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not knocking film school and all that. Yeah, yeah by all means, go to film school or whatever. To me, I've always believed that. Matter of fact, the best way to learn to do anything right. is to do You want to know how to make a chair? Well, go build a chair. Then you know, okay, well, oh, well, shit. Well, maybe somebody can sit it. Because once you've done that, then there is nothing that anybody can tell you about movie making. Because you right. know how to do when you do the lighting yourself, when you've done the makeup yourself, right. when you scout locations yourself, when you've edited it yourself. Now there's nothing that nobody can tell you because you've done this. Maybe they can show you how to do it better. Maybe they can show you how to do it cheaper or more efficiently. Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual technique, once you've learned the technique, that's it. On one hand, I wish that indie film could go back to the way it was. But you can't put the genie in the bottle anymore. anymore. No, once that bad boy is out, he said three wishes and then I'm out. Right. (laughs) And let's face it. And none of this asking for three more wishes bullshit, okay? Let's face it. The major studios wouldn't have started their own independent branches if there wasn't a hunger for independent And if there wasn't money in them, Thor Hills. Right, yeah. And one of the funniest things that I see, and we've talked about this before, me and you have seen movies from the 60s and 70s that were major theatrical motion pictures that today would be considered independent movies. Yeah. I mean, how many times in Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears do I have to say this film cannot be made? Right. What we were talking about the other night, the one with Brooke Shields. Yeah, oh, Pretty Baby. That'd have to be an independent movie. You couldn't find a major motion picture studio that would touch that subject matter, which deals with, of course, child prostitution. I mean, they simply wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. There was a couple, but other movies. I could easily think of a bunch of movies that I've seen, and I said, yeah, okay, they couldn't make that today. Most of the Nicholas Rogue films could not be made. Oh, walk you about. and I were talking walk, about Walkabout. Walk Walkabout, there we go, yeah. Well, we're going to we're gonna yeah. devote a whole episode to Nicholas Rogue and mm-hmm. Don Camel, but Walkabout is such an achingly beautiful film. Oh, yeah. On every level. And yet, because it's about a teenage girl and a little boy mm-hmm. and an aborigine, having this sort of weird adventure together mm-hmm. and there's frequent nudity on everybody's part. Nobody would touch this. No, I would a 10-foot pole. They said, no, we can't do this type of movie today. What, are you kidding me? And it really puzzles me because today we're in the car mm-hmm. and we're going to get gas. On the news, they had this story about how this movie about the bullying is a little controversy because... Because of the use of the F-bomb. Right. So it's got an R rating, which of course means that the kids who should see this movie can't get in to see it. So now they were going to release it unrated at first, but now the director or the producer whoever has agreed to make a couple of cuts to make a PG-13 rated version. It's still going to be the R-rated version. But to me, they shouldn't have to go through that because for Odin's sake, we just had The Hunger Games come out, which is a movie about kids killing kids. Last week, yeah. That got a PG-13. There are kids in that one shooting each other with arrows. Mind you, yes. Well, we're the only country in the world where violence, we don't blink an eye over, but sex... Or language, that gets us all Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a movie you got kids shooting each other with arrows and cutting each other's throats. Albeit it's a fictional movie. But still, it's kids doing these horrible, violent things to each other. Oh, PG-13. You know why? 
because the moolah, they want to make sure as many kids as possible come yeah. to see that. But a movie about a real life problem that's going on. That well, can't that's why we have these problems with certain directors who want to make these R-rated horror films, these R-rated thrillers, who don't get to do them. Del Toro at the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Now, if anybody should have carte blanche Mm -hmm. To do a movie, it should be him. Him, Peter Jackson, are two guys, anytime they walk in, to, if they walked into my studio right. and said, Derek, give me $200 million. Here, here you go. What don't you, you want to know what I'm making? I don't care. Here. Right. So seriously. I get to distribute it, right? Yeah. That's all I want to know. Yeah. I get to distribute it, right? Okay, go do what you want to do. You would figure they could do that. No, they're scared of an R-rated horror movie because, well, it's not going to make it. Oh, okay, well, fine. If Del Toro, as much money as he made for that studio... It would seem to me that there would be distributors lined up around the block right. with blank checks saying, yeah, make it mm -hmm. for me. Why? Why? And this is another guy that started out as an independent filmmaker. Mimic, yeah. And even before that, Kronos. Uh, Kronos, yeah. Kronos. Sadly, though, that's what we're dealing with now is that what happens? Somebody makes a successful indie film, he gets snatched up by a studio, and we never see them again. We never see that artistry again. In a way, I swear to Tom, it's madness because you go from making your independent movie, which you made the way you wanted to make, right. and you distributed the way you wanted to make, and you didn't have to answer for anybody, to go to a situation where you got two dozen bosses mm -hmm. telling you what you can't do, but they're giving you a lot of money, but yet they're still not letting you do what you want to do right. with the money because they said, well, we're giving you the money, so you got to do what we say. Well, wait a minute, but this isn't what you hired me for. Maybe another simile we can use is the comic book industry. Okay. You go out, you write your own, because that's one of the great things about comic, even more than movies, mm -hmm. is cartooning is the ultimate egalitarian art form. Okay. You've got a pencil, you got some paper, you can make a comic book. Bingo. It's the easiest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But what happened is look at Jamie McKelvey and... Oh, the guys who did Phonogram, which is one of the best independent... The name is what I've heard. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember yeah. who he is. These two English artists do Phonogram. One of the best comic books I've read in the last 10, 15 years. It's about a world where magicians make magic through their personal relationships with popular music. Oh, okay. Cool. They do one story called Rue Britannia, which is about the spirit of... Of Britpop wanting to come back and manifest on Earth. They do a second one called The Singles Club, which was a weird story about one night in a club, mm -hmm. and each issue is done from a different character's point of view. Each okay. of one is a phonomancer. Kieran Gillen, that's his name. Okay. So Gillen and McKelvey get picked up by Marvel and start being put to work in the X Mines. Oh, God, yeah. They're unhappy. It took them almost four years, and they're going to finally get another phonogram out. But it's like they cherry-pick the best of these indie writers and artists. To be honest, a lot of these writers and artists get into it with their mindset. Oh, well, I always want to do X-Men. That's the thing. Instead of saying, well, I want to create something of my own and start my own legacy, unless you're somebody like a Dave Sim, yeah. who did do that, who did his own legacy. You do have these independent... The Elfquest people. No, and the Interchipini. Right. Unless you have people like that that are really dedicated to creating mm -hmm. their own thing and not working in those damn salt mines. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody on Skype the other day and they were saying, oh yeah, well Dirk, you say all that now. And I was having a conversation yeah. similar to this one. Yeah, you say it all now, but you know DC and Marvel, they came and said, well, we want to turn a comic deal into a comic book, you do it. I said, no, I wouldn't. Absolutely not. I said, why would I? I've said this before. I said this to you forever. I'll say it in first. The second... I decide I want to work for Dan Dio. Yeah, is the yeah. second you have the right to kick my ass. Absolutely. I refuse to do the second that Dan Dio comes up with me and like wants me to write something, I want to be sure that I say no. I had put on the Facebook page a while back because I just wanted to mm -hmm. take the Pope's and also I was trying to bring out something. I said, what was the last great superhero created by Marvel? I remember Marvel? that, yeah. Because I just wanted to show people nobody is creating anything for Marvel or DC because they yeah. see how spiritually and creatively bankrupt they've become. Why should you want to turn over an original creation for them to screw over into the ground instead of taking it for yourself? And anybody that would create an original superhero for DC and Marvel now needs to head exam. Keep it for yourself. I don't care if you're not making a whole bunch of money over it. It's better to keep it to yourself. And what was fascinating was almost all the answers that people were coming up with <laughs> were reiterations of previously extant characters. Oh, the Winter Soldier is original. I'm like, really? No. Really? He's Bucky. He's Bucky. <laughs> oh, 
oh, X-23 is Wolverine. With boobs. You're right, though, but that's the thing. You don't want, and I wonder if that's what 20th Century Fox is looking at Fox Searchlight and Fox Atomic for. Okay, well, we'll finance these people, and when they're ready for the big time, we'll swoop in and take them. Yeah, because they're looking for the next Peter Jackson or Steven Spielberg. Or Quentin Tarantino. Or Quentin Tarantino that can deliver these big blockbusters. And more importantly, bring people into the movie theaters. God knows 3D isn't doing it as well as they like. And, and while I will admit there is probably some portion of firing comic book writers and artists who say, oh, what I really want to do is write Spider-Man, I'm willing to bet that the kid that's out there right now with his digital camera shooting a very personal indie film with his friends from college is thinking to himself, what I really want to do is do Transformers 5. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. God bless them, but I'm sorry. Marvel and DC, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Nobody could come up. Those answers, I was looking, and, I, and they were pretty much the answers that I said. Cause Wolverine I think, was the last was, great Right, character. thank you. Wolverine was the last great character. And Wolverine was, what, 40 years ago? Are we talking about Going 30? on that, yeah. 30 years ago? That was the last great character created by Marvel. Really, there hasn't been any really great characters since then. They've just been reset. I mean, for God's sake, Avengers, why is everybody getting excited over Avengers versus X-Men? Do I don't think people are getting excited over this. That's the problem. No, that's not the problem. That's a good thing. You shouldn't get excited over regurgitated crap. Marvel has taken such a bad hit. Now, granted, the interesting thing about the dick new is that now that the sales figures are coming in for the first couple of issues, we can look at it, and the thing that's fascinating is that the sales really haven't gone up. They've kind of remained the same, but the demographic is the same people. Older folk. There are no new people coming in. No. The people who are coming in to replace the people like me who said, see ya, are people who were turned off by comics for a while and decided to use the Dick New as an excuse to come back. So, even though Dan Didio will be claiming, oh yeah, the Dick New is a success, is a success, this is a success, it really wasn't, because the whole point of that was to grow a new fan base. Didn't they cancel half a dozen books? They canceled seven books after five, six issues. Yeah. Interestingly enough, among them, Mm. All the black characters. Yeah. Ex- except for Batwing, the Batman of except Africa. Except for where. And I've told people this before, and I've said, yeah. the success of that character has got nothing to do other than the fact he's got a connection to Batman. Right, other than he's got a Batman name on That's it. A Batman name. If that was another character, like, I don't know, the Black Avengers, it would have been canceled a long Farmer. time ago. Right. It, <laughs> it would have been canceled long ago. It really would have. I'm sorry, folks. That's the only reason that book is a success, or whatever it is. They didn't even give these books a year to try yeah. to find a fan-based audience. Oh, nope, chop and cut their heads off. I'm sorry, it's just a very sad, sad state of it. You go to a comic book shop now, what do you see? You don't see kids, you see old farts. Like it us. was weird, I'll be honest with you, because for those of you who don't know, I went to the, I think we mentioned it earlier in the episode. Yeah, no, the episode, Carbano, but you mentioned this. The Mike Carbono New York City Marketplace, and it was a very strange and surreal experience for me, because here I was at a comic book show, and it was literally just a show. There was no convention track. There were no panels or anything. I was basically stuck in the middle of a, literally a comic book marketplace mm-hmm. from 10 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night that night. And it was weird being there when I had no interest in what was being pushed out. No interest at all, exactly. No interest. I made no purchases for myself while I was there because I had no interest in anything that was being presented to me. You know where the real fun is at nowadays? Real fun is in the movies, yeah. Marvel with their movies, uh, and on TV and DVDs where yeah. DC is kicking ass with their animated movies well, you know what the thing and TV is? series. First off, the Marvel movie-verse is so much more streamlined yeah. and easy to comprehend than the Marvel Universe now, especially now that they've been through Civil War and Secret War and Chocolate War and Mustachio War and... And war, 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 <laughs> war, more war. First it was total war. Now it's war, war. <laughs> <laughs> what war? Yeah, exactly that war. Where war? There war. That, that war. It's war. What war? Exactly. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Is everything is now so complex. What's the point? Yeah, what is the point? Nowadays, even though I still keep up with a couple of comic blogs, every day is like Wednesday. I've mentioned that before on the show. Project Rooftop. Oh, I love Project Rooftop. I love Project Rooftop. Something like the fact that they got Jamie McKelvey to redesign Captain Marvel's uniform. Mm -hmm. And I like that new uniform. A lot of people I know don't. If anything, really nailed the coffin shut on DC for me. Yeah. For what they did with Captain Marvel. Well, fuck it. Nobody knows that name. Well, we're just going to call him Shazam now. 
Well, nobody knows his name is Captain. Well, yes, we do. The people that know anything about Kanye. Well, as somebody pointed out. Well, everybody uh, thinks his name is Shazam anyway. No, they don't. As somebody pointed out on our Facebook page, the last three major iterations of Captain Marvel in the media have all gone by the name of Captain Marvel. Yeah, duh. I don't mean to bring him up, Ian, but Jeff Johns, what did he do with Aquaman? He made him into an unlikable asshole who's, mm. who's got a chip on his shoulder because people think he's a lame superhero. Just like he made Hal Jordan into an unlikable asshole who has a rage <laughs> issue. Do you see a pattern? Yeah. So, so what does he do with Shazam? Shazam. He turns Billy Bats into an unlikable asshole. That's his move, people. The corruption of youth. They did it with Mary Marvel. What they did to her oh, was, it was absolutely... Poochie Marvel? Yeah, it was absolutely criminal. One of the sweetest, most likable characters. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The way that a lot of these comic book writers write women says a yeah. lot about them that I find quite disturbing. These are guys who do not like women, and I'm going to say it. I'm sorry, I don't care. These are guys who do not like women and do not like minorities. Yes, agreed. You heard the latest violation they did against my beloved Teen Titans. Oh, God. What did they do, Tom? You know what? One of my favorite Titans characters is Lilith Clay. Lilith? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Lilith Clay, for those of you who are not familiar with the earliest version of Titans, Lilith Clay was, what would happen if Susan Day from the Partridge Family became a go-go dancing psychic? Yeah, that's what she was, Susan Day, yeah. basically, yeah. She's one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. She's definitely my favorite character from that earliest incarnation. I go back to Teen Titans mm -hmm. when they accidentally caused the death of that well, yeah, like, that student leader or that. Yeah, and they went. And they they bending the costumes. Yeah, right, and they were wearing. That's where Lilith that's was where first Lilith came in. Right, yeah. and, right, and they were wearing jumpsuits, and they gave yeah. up the costumes, and they worked for Mister Jupiter. So that's how I was introduced. Okay. I love that period, the Teen Titans history. Allow me to introduce you, okay, to yeah. Lilith Dicknew. Oh my God! What's up with her eyes? Why is she standing next to Venom? She's a villain. She is the psychic scalpel of the sadistic woman known only as. Omen. But why is she standing next to Venom? That's Warblade from the uh, Wildstorm uh, characters. Uh, I, I don't... I feel like Three Dog Night yeah. now. Mama told me not to come. <laughs> oh... Not that this has anything to do with independent film folks, but you, but no, well, you know how me and Tom... It started as a simile. You know how me and Tom roll. <laughs> so, as we've established, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. We can't right. go back to those days of the 70s and 80s when independent film meant something. We're now stuck with independent film as kind of the minor leagues. Although, like I said... I think there still is an independent film spirit out there. It's just these guys down in Georgia or over in Texas who are making these really cheap gore films. Yeah. And just printing them out on DVD and selling them through conventions and stuff. I don't think we're ever going to see true independent rom-coms again or true independent comedies. But there's still hope out there in this world. It's just that unfortunately what most people would say is indie film isn't really indie film anymore and we should probably acknowledge that. And we have been contacted by some you showed me that independent film the one about death the guy did oh yeah Kevin yeah. Lindema Ken, the yeah, documentary I mean, yeah, did that a couple of years ago there was a horror film I was uh, extra in with yeah. Russ Anderson we went there was you were a zombie I yes. was a zombie yeah and one of our listeners Parker Stansfield he's working on an independent film at the zoo at the zoo the Atlas Detective right and if there are any other independent filmmakers that are listening to this podcast Please, by all means, get in touch with Tom and I, and if you want What we should do, you yeah. and me... Yes, you and I. You and I. You and I. Ebony and Ivory live together. We should put our money where our mouth is. What? How difficult is it to get our hands on a digital video camera nowadays? Not that difficult Not at difficult. all. Not difficult. I got one. Maybe this is what needs to be done. People who talk about movies like us should get off our asses and make movies. So what, you want to make a little short half hour movie? Something like that, yeah. You know how to write a script? Of course I know how to write a script. Yeah, I used to write script. Remember, I, I did script doctoring before. Okay. So write a script. We'll do something. And Although we know what everybody wants us to do. I doubt that we could get Electra and mm. the, the crazy babysitter twins, the Avellian twins. But better in the dark, the movie. And if there's anybody in the New York area that wants to be in our movie, contact me and Tom. We'll find something for you to do. Well, I know one person I think would be actually look, would be pretty good in our film. Who? But I don't think she would have the time. My niece. Oh, okay. You've seen pictures of my niece. I think yes, she looks I have. She has a very independent movie look. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
you know? Is, hell, I mean, let's go out and just... I mean, that's... Maybe this is what this whole episode has been leading up to. A call to arms. So maybe we ought to do it just so we'll, right. know, we'll know what we're talking How about. How difficult is it, people, to just go down there, get yourself a small digital camera, and just... Make something. Put up on YouTube, you know. Andy Sams and John Jensen did an episode called The Little Fat Girl, where they talked about technology getting to the point where anybody could make a movie, where the little fat girl could make the movie she wants. Right. And the conflicted guy in the corner can make what he wants. Right. The YouTube with social media. All we need to do set a, a clip up on YouTube and say, hey, you want to see more? Give us money here. Or we could even make it a Kickstarter project. Yeah, ex- exactly. There's so and much have people finance. This is once again we come back to through Kickstarter, through YouTube. This is where the indie spirit really is, not in the halls of Atomic or Focus mm-hmm. or the New New Line, right? Or the Weinstein Group. Okay. This is where, and I'm sure that there are certain people, like somebody like Robert Rodriguez, if he was here now, would be going, "Hell yeah." Oh, well, naturally. I you mean, know, Robert... I mean, this is a guy who still is a one-man show. He mm-hmm. writes, directs, edits, does the music. Right. He does all that himself. Uh, There's no reason why we can't do the same. Both of us are reasonably intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> reasonably intelligent. That's probably going to be the challenge when we finish this up. I think we should probably finish up, though. Yeah, yeah, let's get this over Because we should get to with. the administrative. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you say, no, I don't want to make a movie, Uncle... Tom and Uncle Derek. There are a number of ways you can reach us. Uncle Tom? Yes. <laughs> you didn't think about that before you said it. My first fiance, who I was with through the bulk of college, was a woman of African American extraction. Right? Yes, Uncle Tom. <laughs> Karen. Now, I was living with my friend at the time in his house with his family. Okay. And he had a very young sister who, when Karen would come home to visit with me, and the sister would come home from school, would go, Hello, Uncle Tom! And I would blush, and Karen would find it funny. Please go ahead and do the administration of the I think I've reduced Derek to speechlessness. As I was saying, whether you love us, whether you hate us, you can find their number one... There are several ways you can reach us. You can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can... You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can join our Facebook site. Just go to Facebook, type in Better in the Dark. Ask for us to add you. We'll add you. You can pull up a chair. And Uncle Tom and Uncle Derek. So. Oh, God. Now I know how Ricky Gervais feels <laughs> talking to Carl Pilgrimter. Okay. Oh, God. You can also follow both of us on Facebook for our individual adventures. We're not hard to find. Just mm. look for our name. Or oh, down on the plantation. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> you can go to the Ferguson Theater and follow Derek's frequent movie reviews. And you can go to Tom's blog, Damn You Just Damn Your Eyes, 10 Statements, oh, ten dot, 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 dot. <laughs> You can also find, we should definitely mention, the Nocturne Travel Agency, where Tom is going to be giving you all the background information that you need to know about not only Jamiro Falls, but his right. new project for Airship 27, the Shadow Legion, the Shadow Legion, New Roads to Hell. Right. That's at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com. And if you've ever wanted to get inside the mind of Tom DJ, although I have no idea why you would want to do that, this is a good way to do it. <laughs> you should, of course, visit pulpworkspress.com where you can purchase Four Bullets for Dylan and the Dylan novels. As well as a bunch of other good stuff, such as How the West Was Weird, Volume 1 and 2. Featuring Derek Sebastian Red, mm-hmm. my own Don Quavo, and Doc Thunder. And you can also get How the West Was Weird Campfire Tales, mm-hmm. which is only available for your Kindle or your Nook. You can right. go online and you can get that, which features stories by myself, Russ Anderson, Joel Jenkins, and Joshua Reynolds. Okay. You can also go to ProSafe Press, run by our good friend Tommy Hancock, to pick up The Adventures of Fortune McCall, yep. the latest in a long line of great adventurers created by Derek, who will be crossing over with the other two characters of the Sovereign City Project. Yeah, the first Soon. one, uh, written by Barry Reese. The you Adventures need a woman. Le- what? You need a female adventurer. We do? So why don't you create one? Well, I haven't been invited yet. I'll talk to Tommy about it. But you need a female. I agree with you 
I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, why should the guys have all the fun? No problem. It's just we haven't had one yet because the way that it was originally created. Because each person Tom, Right. Tommy wanted me, him and Barry to put the foundation for this city. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's going to be opened up to other writers. So by all means, right. get your bid in now. And finally, of course, we need to salute. Salute. The great Captain Ron Fortier. And go and visit Airship 27 for many, many good and wonderful things, such as the upcoming New Voyages of Sinbad, which features a new story by Derek. Yeah, that's a project that just been announced a couple of weeks ago. I'm writing a story for it. Nancy Hansen, I know she's mm. definitely writing one for it. A bunch of other talented people. But yeah, and also if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, Airship 27 has got several anthologies. Mm. Also, there's going to be one coming up I got a story in called Tales of the Hanging monkey. Right. For those of you who remember that show from the 70s, Tales of the Gold Monkey. Mm -hmm. Well, this is kind of a similar premise with the guy who created this concept, Billy Craig. It's a South Sea island, and he's created the Bible Mm -hmm. and some of the characters and invited a bunch of us, listen, write stories about this island and whatever. So I did a story. Josh Reynolds did a story. Tommy Hancock did a story. So just go to Airship 27's website. Trust me, there's something there that you like. Whether it be classic Pope characters like the Black Bat or Captain Hazard. The Moon Man. The Moon Man. Oh, yeah. Goofy. Goofy. I love the Moon Man. (laughs) Now, now, if it was at all possible, I would have the the Moon Man fight Mysterio, but that's never going to (laughs) happen. Where they'd be banging heads together. (laughs) Oh man, I love the moon. It is so good. But see, that's why I love the post because only in the post could you have a character that goofy and it would work. I don't think you could actually do a moon man comic book. Right. Because it would look too goofy. But in prose, the way you imagine him, yeah, it worked. You can make it work. The moon man. Right. Oh my. But yes, any of those publishers, please do patronize them, and especially if you love old school adventure. So I guess that's it. That's it. Thank you very much for indulging Tom and I in this sort of stream stream of consciousness consciousness episode. But it was a subject that interested us, and we hope it interests you, and we just like exploring topics like this and seeing where it goes. So until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you are, go make that movie! Good night. God bless. Everything I wrote in the peak world is true. You're in the part about your sister sleeping with the entire cast of Tony and Tina's wedding? She really loved that show. Yeah, do it yourself. Aesthetic was bigger back in the day in the 80s and 90s. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Andy of Andy vs. Hollywood, Scott and Chris of Two True Freaks, Ian at Cinerama, Eric Frome, and of course, all the lovely members of the Better Than Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better Than the Dark promises the next time it needs a simile and won't go through the music industry, gangster rap, and comics to make the same point. We'll just stick to porn instead. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better Than the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better Than the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.bhyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that every man, even Derek, as is kryptonite when it comes to silly nicknames. I only said I was willing, took a seat at the table, the game the devil was dealing. Strangely, the danger gave an incredible feeling. Then they tried to take the sky, so I'd hit my head on the ceiling. Somehow broke out. <laughs> That's what you got for fucking with the crimson bolt and bolting, you stupid cocksucker! And now your legs are gone!